Jesus paid the price so that you could move from this category of orphan into son and daughter. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. The conflict in Israel, um, really, I guess it's, it's a war because war has been declared. Uh, Hamas on Saturday of last week, uh, two Saturdays ago, Surprise attack to Israel. Israel responded by saying, hey, we're going to war. And I want to just take a moment to address some of maybe the sympathetic dogmas toward Hamas or Palestine. And I do know that there are innocent people. There are innocent people, uh, Palestinian people. But um, this week I got to encounter somebody who was... Uh, sympathetic toward Hamas and Palestine. And the reason I address these things is, is, first of all, when you hear things, you need to know what the actual truth is. You don't need to just hear the rhetoric out there and go, well, I, this is what this person said, so I, it must be true. You need to really know what the truth is. And also, you need to, to know so that you yourself are not deceived and so that you can actually not perpetuate lies hear things, and then just tell someone else just what, what you heard. And then you also need to be able to encounter people and have an intelligent argument. I don't, when I say argument, I don't mean like heated and angry, but you need to have an intelligent defense of what the truth is and be able to explain what's going on and that you can help people stand on the right side of history and stand for truth. Amen? So you, you might hear that that Israel was at fault or has been at fault for years and years and years for the Palestinian refugee crisis. And the truth is, is that the fault of that is the Arab nations and the United Nations and the corrupt and evil Palestinian leadership. They are responsible for the Palestinian refugee crisis. Another thing you might hear about uh, absurdly is that the Jews exploited the Holocaust to create the state of Israel. And that's absolutely not true. The truth is that the movement to create a modern Jewish state, Israel, dated back to the 19th century and ultimately, ultimately to the beginning of the Jewish people 4,000 years ago. The third thing you might hear out there is that Israel is engaged in genocide against the Palestinian people. That is absolutely not true whatsoever. The truth is, that the, the absolute contrary to that, the Palestinian population has actually doubled in 20 years. So if Israel was committing genocide against the Palestinian people, they're doing a terrible job of it. So if you hear those kinds of things, you need to be armed with some truth and know what's really going on. And then also I just pray over us that as we're people of truth, we'd also be people of peace. That when we encounter people, 
we wouldn't have to do it with a violent spirit or attitude. We are violent against the wicked, evil, antichrist spirit that is against God and against the people of God and against the nation of Israel. We're, we are violent against that, but we are not violent against people. Amen? Praise God. All right, let's pray before we get into the word this morning. I almost want to just hear that bumper music again. So, All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us and you loved us first before we were even aware of your presence. It, it was there and you loved us. And so God, I ask you to help us be people of your love. Help us receive your love. Help us return your love back to you and help us be conduit of your love to others, Lord God. Help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to see ourselves to the way that you see us. We want you, Lord God, Holy Spirit, to transform our hearts. And so we approach you confidently this morning because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. And if you agree with that, shout amen. amen. All right, stand with me again this morning. We're gonna honor God's word. It has the highest authority in our life. Today we're going to read from Matthew chapter 20. And uh, today I'm going to read most of this to you. And you can just follow along on the screen or right there in your Bible quietly. Matthew chapter 20 verse 20 is where we're going to start. And then when we get to the very end, we're going to read one of the last verses um, in verse 28, we're going to read that one together aloud. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten disciples, the ten other disciples, heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant and probably jealous. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And this, this is where we're going to all read together. Verse 28, read aloud with me. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. When I was growing up, um, serving was just ingrained into me. It was just part of our culture in our household. It wasn't just something that our family did. It was just part of our DNA. 
and, and it was grafted into me. And I remember just being like knee high to a grasshopper and being at church and being in, even in kids' church and just looking for any opportunities to serve, even as a kid. And so whatever they let me do, I would do. Straighten chairs, I would do that. You know, let me be in a skit or some kind of illustration, you know, in the, this part of the lesson. And then I was growing up, and then I got into youth group, and became a teenager, and still I'd just do whatever it is they'd let me do. And I remember one night at youth group, I felt like the Holy Spirit laid on, lay it on my heart to take up the bass guitar. And so I did, and I, and I went, and I found a bass, and I started taking lessons, and I practiced, and I got good enough, and then I started playing in the band at youth group, and then I just kept sharpening that skill and got to play at big church and uh, just continued to do whatever it is they let me do. And, and from, I mean, all of it, from serving in the toddler classroom to operating a camera, anything. And, and so it was at church when I was a kid and as a, as, as a teenager, a lot of my work ethic was developed and it was built and it was played out, demonstrated. And I was given incredible opportunities to serve and I wouldn't trade any of that for anything. It was amazing. So thankful for those opportunities. And then, so after high school, I went on to college and went to Texas and that's where I met my beautiful wife who also grew up in the church serving. And so again, serving is not just not something I did as a kid or a teenager. Now as an adult in college, we're looking for opportunities and we we uh, joined a worship team together before we were married. We've been leading worship together for 25 years. And, and we were on two different worship teams, and we were leading worship six days a week between those two worship teams. And looking for every other opportunity to serve and get involved. We, we served in outreaches and at food banks, um, all kinds of stuff. We, we got involved in our local church, in the youth ministry there at our local church. We became the prayer leaders for the youth ministry there. We're doing all of this while being students and while working jobs. And the year after we graduated, we got um, our first full-time ministry assignment. And we were the youth pastors and worship leaders at a church in the Midwest. And the culture of that church was serve and work. And it wasn't really... Um, it wasn't really a new thing for us because it was just part of, again, our upbringing and who we are. It was grafted into our DNA. But I will say there was something that was a little different. Now, how many of you have all heard the call and response? God is good. And all the time. At this church, it was like, I mean, this was never said, but it was like the mantra was like, work hard all the time, and all the time. And that was just part of the culture of that church. And there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with serving at all. But, you know, one of the things that we really actually did say was work as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God, which is a great, like, little, you know, philosophy and it's a way of thinking of things and looking at things. But really the culture in that ministry that we served, the emphasis was not on pray as if everything depends on God. The emphasis was on work as hard as if everything depended upon you. 
And so this narrative kind of began to get built um, and formulate in my subconscious. And, and so and, and what that narrative was is, is that my work, my serving God, makes God happy. And I do believe that. And so here's the part that's a little askew. So if I do a lot of good things that produce measurable results, then that pleases God. But if I don't do a lot of good things that don't produce measurable results, then God is not pleased. Now, I can say I never consciously thought that. But if you looked at my lifestyle and you looked at my emotional state in those seven years that I served in that that ministry, it was apparent that that is what I believed. And this was my theology. And it affected my thinking and it affected my my living. And and this, this way of thinking and living could be categorized as works mentality, which basically is that's where we get our identity or my relationship with God is solely based on what I do or what I don't do. It's all performance-based. And let me tell you this. If I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't really change any of the opportunities that I had to work hard and to serve what I would change is my thinking, my heart, and my attitude, and the paradigm from which I did those things. Because I was relating to God solely from the, the, the thought process or the paradigm or the lens of God's my master, and he is, and I'm his slave, and that is true. And the scriptures do use this language of master and slave. And, it, and, it, and, I, and I believe the, one of the reasons that we are to look at it through that lens is to understand that really we don't have any rights. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But if that's the only way that you view your relationship with God... And if you view your relationship with God through the way that I had was like, if I do really good and produce a lot of fruit, then God's happy with me. But if I don't produce fruit, then God's unhappy with me. And there's that's, if you look in the scriptures, there's just kind of some language about that. But again, if that's all that you view your relationship with God through is through that filter and lens, you're going to miss out on some closeness to God. You're going to miss out on intimacy with God. You're going to miss out on a large portion of relationship to God that's available to you. I was relating to God solely that way. Another way that we relate to God, a more intimate way that we relate to him, is through the language of not just master and slave, but of father and son, or father and daughter. And I knew that in my mind that I was a son of God. I knew that. But what was emphasized in my life was that I was just his slave. 
And if you're going to be a slave, there is no greater master to serve. That's not any, I mean, when we use this kind of language, we picture master-slave relationship through like, you know, you know, 18th and 19th century, you know, slave trade in America and, and around the world. And that's really not, that's really not the, the picture that's painted here in the scripture when it's talking about master and slave, but that's what we do. But the, the revelation, we need a revelation that our connection to God is not limited to that kind of relationship. In, in my relationship with God, there was a level of closeness that I was missing out on because of my slave-only mentality. I said this last week, and I have said it many times before, and you will hear me say it many more times in the future. You'll hear me ringing this bell over and over and over. It's that everything in your life, what you do, what you think, how you feel, how you respond, the words that are coming out of your mouth, all of those things, all of it, it comes from the overflow, first, of the way that you view God, and secondly, the way you view God, it shapes the way that you view yourself. Everything in your life is an overflow of those two things. I, I quoted Tozer last week. You guys have heard me, those of you that have been part of Seeds Church for any amount of time, you've heard me say this quote numerous times. The most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God. It's the truth. And so this is why it's important that we see the full context of Scripture and of how we relate to God when it comes to serving. We've talked quite a bit in this previous series that we did, Saints and Sinners, about those, the, the language of identity there, saints and sinners, right? I want to offer you some additional ways, some additional language of how, when it comes to our identity and how we relate to God. One of the ways that some of us view ourselves spiritually is as orphans. We think that we're an orphan. And again, you may not think that sub, like consciously, maybe, but it's a subconscious thing. And if you look and examine your life, the way you think, the way you feel, the way, how you act, how you talk, you, it will reveal whether or not you have an orphan mentality. One of the thought processes of orphans is that they're never really sure about their place, about their standing. They have a hard time believing that they belong. Most spiritual orphans, they have either a poor relationship with their earthly father or maybe even no relationship with their earthly father. Maybe they were never fathered, so they don't know what it looks like to be a son. They really don't know. So, so the idea of a good heavenly father can be very, a very difficult thing to grasp for someone who has an orphan mentality. They sometimes wander through life with little or no sense of purpose or little or, or no sense of, of commitment to things. This can play out sometimes. They might change careers often. Can't hold a job for a long time, period of time. Sometimes... Uh, there's commitment issues with long-term relationships, including in their marriage or the relationship with the local church. Well, they just, they're in 
they're in a church for a year and then they go to another church for another year because they don't have a commitment to the rest of the body, to the rest of the church family. They can often be cynical. They can be skeptical of meaningful relationships and they can often, like as a defense mechanism, they'll hurt someone else before they can be hurt by someone. That's an orphan mentality. Another way that some people relate to God is as a slave. And I've already kind of talked about this a little bit already. Slaves know that they have an assignment, and oftentimes they're convinced the only way to please the Father is to perform and work harder than others or to work harder than they've worked before. And their standing or their status is solely dependent upon how well they do how well they perform, how well they execute. They may not truly believe that their place is secure, and at any moment, they have a fear that they could be replaced or they could be demoted. Sometimes slaves can be jealous of other people that get the spotlight when they think they don't deserve it. They didn't earn this. They, didn't, they don't measure up. Now, the other way we can see ourselves and relate to God is as sons. Sons and daughters. Sons love the Father. And they know that they are free to enjoy everything that the Father owns because it belongs to them. They're an heir. They don't have to earn what the Father owns. It belongs to them already because it's in their bloodline. They know that there are chores. They know that there are assignments. They know that there is work. But they also know that the Father is pleased more by who they are becoming than what they are doing, what they're accomplishing. When a son makes a mistake, they don't run away. They don't run away and hide. They, they don't run away from the Father. They don't rebel against the Father's discipline. A son receives discipline from the father because they know that it's the father's intention to help them, not hurt them. Sons and daughters make great fathers and mothers. They make good husbands and wives. They make healthy leaders because they spend time with the Father and they know the character and nature of the Father and they know that the Father's never gonna leave them, is never gonna forsake them, never gonna abandon them, never gonna reject them. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, wow, this is a lot to process. As I think and examine my life, think, think through some of how I've lived my life or how I'm doing life now or how I've done it in the past or whatever, you're like, man, I can see that maybe I've just lived with an orphan mentality or a slave mentality, and it's had an effect in my life. This explains so much of my life of how I think and feel and act and talk and all those things. And if that's you, I've got good news for you. 
God doesn't want you to stay with an orphan mentality or even just a slave mentality. He wants to open up to you that you are a son and that you are a daughter and Jesus paid the price so that you could move from this category of orphan into son and daughter. Jesus paid that price for you because he loves you and the father loves you. We're talking about serving, being shaped to serve, because this is one of our core values here at Seeds Church. This is one of our stated core values, that we serve purposely. And what that means is is that our motivation for serving with purpose, right? Our purpose for serving is connection. When we serve, I'm doing it unto the Lord ultimately, So when I serve, I'm connecting with God. And I'm connecting with the people that I'm serving. And then my prayer is that the people that I serve, that I'm helping them connect to the Father. Because I don't want them to stay in an orphan mentality. I don't want them to just have a slave mentality. I want them to experience the Father's love the way that I've received the Father's love. So when I serve and I'm serving purposely, that's the motivation. That's the heart. Now, what did we read a few moments ago, what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28? This is what he said. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus do such a thing? Why would he do this? Because he loves us. Love is part of his character and his nature. And the action that flows out of his love is for him to serve. And so so that we could become sons and daughters. The scriptures tell us that we're created in the image and likeness of Christ. And so when we serve purposely, we are reflecting the character and nature of Jesus himself. Isn't that encouraging? That when I'm serving, I'm serving with with purpose and the right motive of my heart, that I'm being like Jesus. Yes, that's so encouraging. Praise God. We're being formed and shaped and, and sanctified in the image of Christ. So how do we do this? How do we do this serving purposely thing? And how do we do it right? How do we do it without getting off track and getting out of balance and doing it from a works mentality? Well, in Luke's gospel, um, we read about this brief account of of two sisters, Martha and Mary, and and one of their interactions with Jesus. And we're going to read this here in Luke chapter 10, if you want to flip over in your Bible. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, this uh, passage is going to be on the screen here. I'm going to read this from the message paraphrase this morning. Uh, You know, whenever I use a paraphrase like the message, I always look at it and examine it and make sure that it reflects uh, the same thing as an actual translation. And in this case, it it absolutely does, 100%. And so uh, we're going to read it in this message paraphrase because it's a little bit easier language for us to grasp of what's going on here. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village 
A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master. She sat before Jesus, hanging on to every word that he said. But Martha was pulled away by all that she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. Then the master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. Jesus was obviously never married. Um, Bless my heart. Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential. And Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. And it won't be taken from her. Martha, you're worried that you're off here by yourself trying to get the main course put together. And you're worried that You need a a helping hand, a lending hand. But really, the main course is not what you're doing. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is a little bit of an odd account for us to use if we're trying to make the point that we're shaped to serve. It's a little bit of an unusual passage, but I just want you to hang with me here for a minute. Jesus, Jesus wasn't like, Martha, you're getting worked up over nothing. We... We've been traveling and we stopped at Chick-fil-A on the way. We already had dinner, you know. You don't, you're, you know, no, that wasn't what it was about. Jesus wasn't saying that Martha doesn't need to bother serving. That wasn't the point that Jesus was trying to make. What was going on here is that Martha had confused something in her heart. She had confused serving with just doing the things that need to get done. Well, dinner needs to be made, and so we just got to do this. And, and that's not the, yes, things need to get done, but that's just not the exact same, that's not the, the Father's heart for serving. That's not our motivation for serving, just doing things to get done. Just, to, well, this has to be done. We're going to just check this box and go do this and go to the next thing. Martha was being responsible but she equated serving with just doing what needed to get done. Serving's more than that. I know you might be going, well, what's the difference, really? I mean, the difference, again, is that serving purposely takes this simple task and it moves it from the category of rote responsibility and it moves it from that to this is about Jesus. I'm not, yes, I'm being responsible and I'm doing what needs to get done. Great, awesome. Clap my hands, good job. But the heart of serving is going, no, this is not just about what needs to get done. It's not about just being responsible. It's about, let's make this about Jesus. What I'm about to lay my hands to. How I'm about to serve right now. I want to make it about him. The reality is, yes, that things do need to get done. It's true. 
Ministry does need to happen. But the greater reality is that the presence of Jesus is what transforms hearts and it's what changes lives, not just doing things simply because they need to get done. Just doing things, even in, the, in, the, even in ministry, just doing things that need to get done, it does not produce well-formed fruit. And I can tell you that by experience. If this is not theory, this is personal experience I'm sharing with you. Well, we're just going to do this because this needs to get done, and this is how we're going to do it, and it's going it's to impact so many people. Sometimes we throw that one in there. But really, the heart and motivation isn't really about making it about Jesus. Maybe it's about how many people we can minister to or whatever. I don't know. Jesus is the one that transforms hearts. Not us just doing stuff. And I believe, this is what I believe. So I want to just present it to you that way. Some of what what I'm about to share with you is just a well-formed opinion, okay, of how I'm interpreting this. The mistake that Martha made was less about what she was doing and it was more about the motivation behind what she was doing. Remember I told you in my experience that if I had to do anything different, I wouldn't change any of the opportunities that I had to serve. I would just change my heart. I would just change my way of thinking. And I believe that was the mistake that Martha was making here. Maybe Jesus wouldn't have corrected her if she had just had her heart in the right place. Maybe she was doing the thing that she was actually supposed to be doing, but her heart was out of alignment. Maybe because her mistake (laughs) was thinking that, that what she could do for Jesus was more important than just being with Jesus. I'll say that again. Maybe the mistake that she made was thinking that what she could do for Jesus was more important than being in the presence of Jesus. Maybe Jesus wouldn't have had to correct her if her heart had been in the place of, you know what I'm doing right now is important because it's actually giving my sister the opportunity to sit and spend time with Jesus. Can I just say, I believe that there is a reward for that. I believe that there is a reward for serving others so that they can connect with Jesus. I want that reward. I want the reward of knowing that whatever it is that I'm doing, no matter how meager or seemingly unimportant it might be, or no matter how grandiose it might be, whatever it is that I'm doing, Whatever the task at hand is, is what I am doing is bringing an offering to the Lord for him to transform someone else's heart the way that my heart has been transformed. Or maybe Martha should have just realized that the tasks at hand could have just waited. 
that whatever needed to be done will still be there. That if she would just, you know, be more concerned about spending time with Jesus, she could cook dinner a little later. The, the tasks to be accomplished could be done a little later. Because what's most important right now and always is the presence of God. Serving purposely isn't about, well, I serve because that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's good. There's nothing, I mean, like, Sometimes that can be our only motivation, but if that's the way that really that you live your life, you're going to miss out on a lot of things. You're going to miss out on some blessing. Serving purposely, it's about blessing the Lord. It's about blessing God. It's about reflecting his character and nature. It's about becoming like Jesus because Jesus came to serve others. And when I serve, I'm becoming like him and giving to others. And the cool thing, like I said, is that there are rewards that are attached to serving. And one of those rewards is the reward of a relationship. Serving purposely opens the door for relationship. Some of you are like, so what? if you think so what, then you're missing the point of life (laughs) because each and every one of us were created to be in relationship. We are created for this. There's nothing that I have done or accomplished in my life that I have done on my own. The mistake that we make, that some people make when they walk around this earth is thinking that they are a self-made man or a self-made woman how deceived they are. There is nothing that any of us has accomplished on this earth of anything of significance if we had not somebody invested into us. And I'm like, well, you don't know. I just worked hard and I had studied and I did this and I trained and I accomplished that. Yeah, but whether you are willing to recognize it or not, there have been people that have made themselves available to you and have invested into your life. They've invested into your life and you've accomplished whatever it is that you've accomplished in your life. It has not been by yourself. We're created for a relationship. And so serving purposely opens the door for a relationship. It's not about just, well, this is what we're supposed to do. It's about a connection that happens with God and happens with others. This is what God designed us for. When you disconnect relationship from serving, you know what happens often? You get burned out. You get exhausted. It's why some people who have invested a lot into serving in the local church, they made the mistake of of this. They've disconnected relationship from serving and then they get burnt out, and maybe they even leave that church, and they go find a new church, but then they just was like, man, I just need to, I'm not getting involved again. I'm not, I'm not going to go through DNA, because I know if I do, that they're going to ask me to serve, and I'm not, I'm not doing that again. I understand. You need to change your heart and your mentality. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to reconnect serving 
back to relationship. When you disconnect serving from relationship, it's easy to get exhausted. You, it's easy to lack joy and lack enthusiasm and motivation and inspiration and even creativity in your serving. And you can become frustrated and easily cynical. When I look at the character and nature of Jesus, there were some times that Jesus showed some sarcasm but Jesus was never cynical. He used some sarcasm from time to time to make a point. Oftentimes, I use sarcasm, but sometimes the reason I use it is because my heart is cynical. Jesus was never cynical. The problem that, that, that Jesus had with the Pharisees was it wasn't that they were rule breakers. The Pharisees, the spiritual elite of that day were not rule breakers, not at all. They were like professional rule keepers. They were law followers. They knew all of the law that had been handed from God down to Moses. And in addition to that, they said, no, that's not even enough. We're gonna add some of our own laws and our own little rules and policies and procedures into the mix just in case. So the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees wasn't that they were, they were rule breakers. That's not it at all. They knew all that. They knew the laws of God, but they didn't know the way of God. They didn't know the heart of God. They had disconnected those, those things. They disconnected all the laws from relationship. They disconnected the word of God from the heart of God. And every time that we do that, we end up with a lifeless religion. Yes, tasks need to be accomplished. Yes, things need to get done and they need to be executed. Yes, ministry needs to happen. The thing that we must keep our focus on is, is that serving purposely is less about task and it's more about relationship. We're connecting with God and we're connecting people to him. We have opportunities around us every single day to serve purposely. We have opportunities every single week here within the context of the local church to serve purposely. But even in your everyday life, you have opportunities to serve purposely. And we have a great corporate opportunity to serve purposely this coming Saturday at Serve Day. Where this is an opportunity where we get the joy of serving because we're connecting to God and we're connecting to others. But in this corporate opportunity of Serve Day and these other things, whether you serve on a team every week or every couple weeks here at, at Seeds, whether you're serving and by bringing stuff for the blessing bags and you plan on showing up to help you know, put these things together, whether you plan on serving by cooking chili and let me taste it, delicious, this delicious chili, praise God. What, we have all kinds of these opportunities, but when in corporate opportunity like this, we have the joy of linking arms together and doing it together. And it's like there's this exponential joy and, 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 um, and it's just amazing. It's so much fun. It's so much fun to serve the Lord together. It's a blast. And the 
other awesome thing about serving the Lord together is that when we do link, link arms with one another, we get to accomplish more together, exponentially more than any one of us could do on our own. That's what in the scriptures it says, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 2,000 to flight? No, two can put 10,000 to flight. I, I, I can't remember this specifically. I didn't, this is not on my notes and I know I've used this illustration before somewhere in some sermon. So I can't quote it exactly what it is, but if you, if you take a, an ox or a horse and you hook them up to a plow and you get them going in a field, they're gonna do some work. But if you put two together, they can go longer and harder and do far more work together than any one of them. We're, we're talking about like 10 times more. Ridiculous. Serving, we're, we're shaped to serve guys, but we're not to shape to serve alone. We're shaped to serve together. And there's so much joy in it. If you haven't signed up for Serve Day already, I wanna encourage you to do that. You, you don't, if it's not too late. You can go to the website, just sign up. You bring your kids, sign them up. We're gonna have coffee and donuts here first thing in the morning. And we get to serve people in our community for a few hours. And it's so much fun. And at the end of that, you're like, man, praise God. I hope that we helped people see Jesus today. Well, what's in it for me? That's a whole other sermon anyway. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me as we pray? You know, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. So let's tell him today that we wanna stay connected to him so that we can bear much fruit, amen? That we, that we wanna be in relationship with him and we wanna serve purposely. Why don't you close your eyes with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, help our hearts come into alignment with yours. And, and Lord, we just ask you right now to just, we just kind of confess to you and, and we just ask you for forgiveness. If any of us have gotten off track in the, in the area of serving God, whether that we just weren't serving with the right heart, the right motivation, we weren't serving purposely, or maybe God, some of us, we just weren't serving at all. And so we just ask you to forgive us. And now we thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You're such a great father. And we ask you to help us see ourselves not as orphans, not just only as slaves, but help us to see ourselves as sons and daughters. Help us first to see you as a good father and help us to see ourselves as sons and daughters. Help us walk in the freedom that Jesus provided for us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. Help us be examples of what it looks like to live a life of serving purposely to our children. God, we wanna demonstrate this for our children. God, help us demonstrate it for, for our spouses. Help us demonstrate it to those that we work with every day. Help us demonstrate serving purposely to our friends and to our extended family and to, where, to the rest of the entire world. And God, we, we just wanna stay connected to you because we wanna bear much fruit. Because we wanna be like you, Jesus, and we wanna bring you glory and honor. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen? Amen. Prayer team, if you will go ahead and come down front.
stand with me here this morning. If there's a need that you have for prayer for anything in your life, this is an opportunity right now to extend your faith, to come to God and say, Lord, I believe that you are a good father. And as a son or as a daughter, I'm gonna ask my good father to come and help me no matter what area of your life. And if you're here today and you need to repent and you need to come to Jesus and declare him as the Lord of your life, as your savior, or if you're a prodigal and you need to come home today, then welcome home. But come down here and pray with one of my friends here on the prayer team with whatever it is that you need. He hears us and he loves us and he wants to help you and he wants to transform you into the image of Jesus. Today, our benediction comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Once you extend your hands out like this, like you're receiving a gift. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Go in peace and empower to love and serve the Lord. And if you need to come forward this morning to receive prayer, do so now. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.